Aloha, everyone. It's May something. 15th, 16th, podcast four. I don't even know. Isn't it weird how, because we're in this, oh, the next door neighbor dog is barking. I wonder if you guys can hear it. Oh, pretty soon it'll be ours. Anyway, um, it's so bizarre to lose track of days. Day, I don't know what day of the week it is. Uh, I have to put everything in my phone now. I mean, I was busy running a restaurant, so I'd put lots of stuff in my phone, but I knew what day it was because there were, you know, reports to do and, uh, um, oh, I want to start over, but I'm not going to. I hope everybody's safe. And um, Michael, a shout out there to make sure you're all safe. And don't you all ask me which Michael, but just, you know, there are certain people out there we have to, uh, how about if we all just focus on healing, healing. Remember what an amazing record that was? Just healing out there for the people that we know and the people that we don't know. Okay, now we'll get down to the gossip. Now, I normally write out a couple stories and then I ad lib, but uh, today was, I was trying to help Todd do his thing. He had trouble with his camera. He's trying to do something fun for you guys. And I hope you got to see what uh, what my band, Intoxicats, uh, Rick and Amy decided to do this project and uh, sent it out. So we all did our thing from home, and they put together a really amazing video. that uh, It's for you guys. It just came out a couple hours ago, so hopefully some of you have gotten to see it. And um, I'm really proud of it. And my boyfriend makes a little appearance in there, too. <laughs> that was so nice of him, because... Normally, we try to keep uh, everything pretty separate. You know, whenever uh, I worked for him, I had to audition. Doesn't that suck? <laughs> okay, let's get right into the stories. First, uh, the picture. Did you see the picture that came with the podcast? I want to thank Lisa Asta, Auntie Lisa, if you're uh, in the Rundgren family. Uh, Lisa's been there uh, for our family since almost from the day I became part of the Rundgren family. Beca she became Auntie Lisa. And she she saw Rebop before I did. And she took all those pictures of Todd and Rebop together for the first time. So that's the kind of Auntie Lisa. The kind of Auntie Lisa that I can call and say, Rex and Randy are driving me crazy. Can you please take them for the weekend? Please, I can't handle it. And so she does. And they come back all all wild and crazy, but just more full of life. So that Auntie Lisa put together this photo. Yeah, from right to left. And everybody always says left to right. From right to left, you see David Bowie, Mikhail Borishnikov, Pavarotti, and Red Skelton. And they're all standing on our little stones in the uh, in our pond. <laughs> I love that part. It was that surprised me when Lisa did that. So I've spoken to one of the four. Can you guess which one out of those four I've actually spoken to? I've watched performances um, of each artist, all four of them. Each of them made a huge impression on me, and I think all four are genius in their art. I've never met or spoken to the greatest dancer of all time, Mikhail Brishnikov. Now you might say, Nuriev, Dijinsky, Novotilova. No, that was, that was tennis. <laughs> uh, 
But my favorite is Mikael. Not only because you can see the decades of nonstop training and dedication, but just the sheer joy and uh, magnificence. The magnificence he he exudes. My whole body is moved from trying to maintain my breath. Yeah, when I see him in person or in, on TV or in film, I'm, as, as a dancer, not so much as an actor. <laughs> Sorry, Mikhail. But my whole body is moved because I'm trying to maintain breathing. My body is just chilling, just chills up and down, and tears are streaming down my face. Yep, snot nose too, the whole thing, yeah. <laughs> He's just an amazing athlete. Now, if you're a huge fan of Michael Jordan, that's how I feel. I have seen magnificence, just like a Michael Jordan. Uh, you know, that, that, move, that series is going on right now, and I got to watch it just because it's pretty cool to watch the best in their craft, and that's how I felt about Parishnikov. So he was an inspiration. The second best body feel for me is Pavroti. Now, I got to hear him once, um, and it was amazing, but I think listening to him as I fold clothes or straighten the house brings on even more thrills. You know, putting on a record and just letting him soar through the speakers... I know you've probably done that with a few artists. <laughs> my, my dad was also a huge Pavarotti fan. So I was in a big Vegas-style show in upstate New York at a Playboy club. I can't remember the name. I'm going to think of it while I talk. And if I say it wrong, then just text me, correct me. Um, but I heard that while I was doing the Playboy club, I heard that Pavarotti was doing a record signing in New York City. So... On a show day, that's an important thing, on a show day, I drove to New York City and stood in line way longer than I should have for hours and hours and hours. I kept looking at my watch, wondering how close I could play getting back to the club in time for the show. Now, hundreds and hundreds of people are in line. It's moving slowly. When it was my, you know that feeling, when it was my turn to have three albums signed for my dad's Christmas present. Handlers have been pushing people through as quickly as possible. Just keep going, keep the move going, keep them. Don't talk. Just keep the move going. He's got to go. He's got to go. So, I handed Pavrodi three albums. Three albums. I had to Luciano, <laughs> and I just said to him, "For my father, thank you, sir." And you know, when you talk to him, you you speak in an Italian accent. I couldn't help, but it was accidental. Luciano, for my father. Thank you, sir. Luciana stopped, took my hand, and said, Policia, ma bambino, bella, bella, and some other beautiful Italian stuff. And the handlers were like pleading him, Please, please, sir, let, move, move on. We've got people waiting. We got to move this fast. You got to go. So he has my hand, and he slowly kissed it. And held on to it for what seemed like like a couple minutes. Probably 10 seconds. <laughs> it was probably 10 seconds. So I was just in seventh heaven. 
I raced to the car and sped all the way to Lake George, jumping into my dressing room makeup table 20 minutes before curtain. Now, we have a 90-minute backstage call. You're supposed to go, make sure all your stuff is ready. You put on your make or you go warm up for your show, put on your makeup, one or the other. I can't remember the order. Hmm. Anyway, it's a thing. You show up a cup 90 minutes or even a couple of hours before your show and then you're ready to go in costume 15 minutes before curtain. I was 70 minutes late and my producer wasn't happy. He was really mad. Um, now Ben Vereen, unbeknownst to me, had come up to surprise me. Well, same thing, right? Redundant. So he was really mad. And after the show, he scolded me, and I was unprofessional, and you don't ever do that, and if you want to be on Broadway, you're never going to make it if you do that. He was right. I hadn't before, and I never again was late for a show, but it was worth it. Not only did my dad love the autographed albums, but Ben felt bad about lecturing me and bought me a and like an 18 inch tall bronze kabuki statue and it was all like you know uh what do you call it patina it already so it was kind of a grayish green it was really beautiful and i i had it always displayed i think i gotta ask jesse i think i gave the statue to jesse because he loves kabuki and because even though Todd never complained about it, never mentioned it, but, you know, you don't really want your boyfriend to always look at this statue and know another boyfriend gave it to you. So I have to ask Jesse if he still has that. Or if I gave it to any of you out there, let me know. <laughs> you know, you kind of forget the little details as life goes through. <laughs> okay, now on to the real show. I always try to tell a story at the beginning. I don't know why. Maybe because I'm nervous. I just just want to get into that. Um, Bruce Whetstone actually sent me a question. Now, this is what's great, is that he wasn't sure he should ask it. But I am so glad Bruce did, because this is what I want. Oh, God, wait till you hear what Eileen asked me. (laughs) Anyway... Uh, he was very polite, said, oh, please, if I'm overstepping my bounds, then no worries. But some of you know, as Bruce did, that we had a lot of financial trouble with this house, the house that a lot of you came to, to do Todd stock with. And there is a story behind it. First, I guess I'll start. Okay, I'm ad-libbing all this. I'll start at the beginning where, not the beginning, uh, the beginning of my knowing Todd had financial problems. So when I met him, I made, I just honorably, I've always done this, I made sure I paid for every other date, every other expense that was going on, or always half. And he said he really appreciated that, that that had never happened to him before. What I didn't know until later on as we got into uh, our relationship was that he had been, I guess the Congress had, Congress had disallowed tax things like cattle stuff 
And Congress said these things are no longer deductible and no longer can you not invest in these cattle futures, but everyone who did has to pay back all the money that they've ever gotten from this investment and plus interest. No law. It's illegal. This was a illegal. We decided all these millions of Americans have to pay all this money back and interest. So when I met him, he was broke, really broke. But I didn't know that for a little while. And luckily, I paid for half of everything. When we got ready to move to Hawaii, hmm, wait, I guess I got to back up. I'm going to have to ask him if I tell this story right, because this is as I understood it, as it was unfolding. So, was it Epic Records? You guys probably know better. Whoever was the record company, I think it was Epic, that had the meatloaf record. Sony bought Epic, I think. Somebody bought the record company that had the meatloaf record. It was Sony. Somebody that used to work for Epic came to us and said, or Eric Gardner, said they were misreporting all of the meatloaf album royalties and that we were due millions and millions of dollars. Now, it was very strange that at this, about the same time when we were moving here, we were so poor. I mean, I was still waiting tables at Hula Hands. So I'd given up my L.A. career to move up to Sausalito with Todd and Bean and the kids and working as a waitress. Thank God I had a bunch of good savings. Where was that going? Oh, I know. I packed up the Woodstock house to move to, to Kauai. I also packed up the Sausalito house to move to Kauai. Todd's not a good packer-upper. Neither is anybody else in that family. <laughs> I found some savings bonds in a cupboard in the back underneath books. I found savings bonds his grandmother bought for him since he was a kid. And the only reason we could afford to fly everyone and the container to Hawaii with all our belongings was because of these savings bonds that his grandmother bought him. And she'd been long gone. I had never met her. We're that dirt poor. When I found us a rental house in Princeville, oh, I gotta move on. Sorry, I had two beers after not having dinner or lunch. I had breakfast. Okay. Um, the guy from Epic says they've misreported record funds. You guys should sue them, but we don't really have any money to sue them. And we've heard from Sony that, yes, you're probably going to make $11 million minimum if you sue us. We, but it wasn't our fault. We bought a company that screwed you guys over. We owe you at least $11 million, but we'll, or up to twenty. We're going to have to take you to court because we can delay this for 10 to 13 years, maybe longer, and then the money will be you know, worth less. So we have to do that as a company. Would you like to settle for 10%? And we had been looking at property on Kauai. We knew we were moving here, so we'd been looking. If I get the story right, 
Todd called Meatloaf, or Eric called Meatloaf's people, and sold our portion of the rights to him for 10%, the same 10% that Sony would have paid us. But we realized that he, you know, he probably had more power, more money and to get his lawyers on it, and he should just go full frontal. So instead of waiting, in fact, Todd asked me, do you want, should we go for the 11 million and it could take us over 10 years to get it? Or should we settle for 10% and buy that property that we saw? By the way, I'll digress and talk about that. When we came to Kauai on vacation many times and knew we wanted to move here, I'd already looked at schools, 38 different schools where Rex would go, wherever the best place for baseball was, up and down California coast and Hawaii. Yes, I'm rambling. But we looked at so many pieces of property. And they kept, you know, the rock stars go to, uh, they kept thinking we're big rock, rich rock stars. They kept trying to get us to go to Hanlei on the beach, but we didn't want to be in the tsunami zone. We also couldn't afford it. So we know we're getting this, this uh, 10%. We know we're getting a million bucks. And we're almost ready to give up. And Mimsy, our realtor, says, I have one more. It's on a bluff above a river. It's in Kilauea. And it's not really on the beach, but it's, by, it's close. You can walk to the beach. We're like, yeah, show it to us. So we go, and we're looking across the river to the crater. And I start crying. And I wasn't trying to cry. I just, and I'm not a crier. Okay, I am if it gets really sentimental. And I'm just like, this is, I don't know why I'm doing this. This just feels right. It just feels right. This feels like a good spot. And then she takes us down to the beach. And we see the beach and the river that comes into the beach. And there are two trees. And there's a rope swing. And I, the, the kids would love this. So, Mimsy, let's try to get this piece of property. And there are more stories about the property that I'll tell a little later. But that's about it. That says how hard it was for us to get the property. And how what a miracle it was that after being extremely broke... We have this windfall of somebody saying, someone did you wrong. You have money. But we had to spend every dime on the property. When the guy fat, who owned it found out who Todd was, then he kept upping the price and that, ugh, couldn't believe it. I, at one point, I said, no, 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 we can't get screwed like this. And Todd said, I know it's going to take every dime we have to get that property, but we have to save this land from that asshole. He's not meant to be on Kauai, and we are. So I knew we would spend every dime on the property and be moving to Kauai broke. <laughs> broke. In fact, I had my budget after we moved here and to pay bills, I had another $25 a day to feed my family of five. $25. That's all I could spend every day to feed our family. And I made sure I had two huge cans of Fosters budgeted into that meal every day. That was a tough time for us. We almost broke up. Oh, we'll talk about that later. Where was I? So, Bruce, we ended up after years, I guess I have to tell a different story now. 
So we moved to this really shitty house in Princeville. Super horrible. So horrible. Now, I, it had a little teeny pool, and I knew I could make it work. I knew I could just make it look great, and I think I did. I had to make Rex's bedroom in out of the garage. But that's all right. I think I did a good job. Did I, Rex? So even the UPS driver walked up to the house and said, Todd Rundgren lives here? And I said, yeah, we do. We do. We're waiting to build our house. Just waiting to build our house. We finally got to build our... Oh, wait. No, there's one more step. My friend Nana lived in a beautiful house one block away from us. Beautiful. Oh, God, I couldn't believe how gorgeous it was. And after we'd lived in Princeville in our crappy little house for a year, Nana says, I'm moving to the house that we've been building on our property. And this, I'm renting this beautiful house. Michelle, you should move in here. And he said, oh, God, Nana, I can't afford this. And she said, well, what do you pay now? And I told her, she said, oh, my God, this house is the same amount. It's $50 less a month. And you have a gardener and a pool man that's included because it was a rental. So I went back to Todd, and he was getting ready to go on a, on a tour. It was a really tough time for him and our relationship. It was not going well. I didn't know if we'd break up or not. And it was mostly because he felt... Well, I don't want to say how he felt, but I think how he felt was just... He didn't feel like a breadwinner. He felt like he was not doing what he was supposed to as a dad and a father and a husband and taking care of everybody. And he had to tour solo just to make any money any way he could. And it was a pretty low time in his life. So he said, no, I'm not moving anymore. I don't want any more hassle. No, I am not moving. No. And he's not normally like that. So I'm like, oh, crap. He, has, he wouldn't even go see the house. I kept saying, please, 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 it's amazing. Just just come look at it. It's, it's less money than we spend here. No. So he went out on tour. And when he returned, I can't remember how many weeks it was or months it was, but when I picked him up at the airport, I brought him to his new house. I just moved while he was gone. And he was... Like, we pulled up to the driveway. He's like, what is this? I said, this is our new home, and you're going to be really happy. And he was. It was a spectacular home. Oh, my God, spectacular. <laughs> so, a f couple years later, the landlord wants to sell the house. I'm like, how much is it? And... I worked it because I'd done so much community service. They just they just moved mountains for me, and we got the house for four hundred thousand. A beautiful, beautiful house on the Princeville Golf Course. I lifted my head off the pillow and saw between six and thirteen waterfalls. Uh, uh, I just cannot tell you how blessed I felt. Like oh, the universe is saying it. You know, we try to stay positive. We get it. We get it. So. We suddenly, our credit gets all better, and touring is better, and then the family's better, everything's better, and suddenly, we are in a position to borrow money to build the house, the Kilauea house, 
the house that you that a bunch of you got to go to Todd's stock. So we were building the house. We somebody let us borrow over three million dollars. <laughs> I guess we were. I guess we were in good shape, and we were, our eyes were just big. What? What? Oh my gosh, we, we might have enough money to build the house and the studio. And it was a house, if you don't know, that Todd designed. And yes, as soon as I clean it all up, I forgot who asked about getting a tour, but maybe it was Doran. Anyway, I will, I will give you a tour, but first I need to clean it up some more because we've been freaking busy. Uh, stepping back. All right, so we borrowed a whole bunch of money. We finished the house, and we're ready to get our certificate of occupancy, which means you slip into a mortgage. So you have a construction loan at 12 and 3 quarters percent, and then as soon as you're done, you get to that mortgage that you've already made the deal with the same bank on. Well, it's 2008. So, oh, so here we have the certificate of occupancy ready to go into that mortgage that we already agreed upon. And the bank said, oh, sorry, uh, the, the, the economy is so bad. I want to do a Trump voice, but I can't. Um, we have to, no, you can't. There are no more jumbo loans. You can't get a mortgage on your house. It doesn't exist anymore. You have to stay at your 12 and three quarter percent interest. Well, we can't. We can't afford it. We, we, there's no way we could pay that every month. Impossible. We'd lose the house, the property. We'd waited 10 years to build this house. So we, our accountant, Corey, says, let's talk to this. He finds a hotshot lawyer. Oh, my God, Corey is our, our saint. Finds a hotshot lawyer who says, you're going to stop paying your mortgage. Like, what? You're going to stop paying your mortgage. You're going to pay me your mortgage payment, and I'm going to start a class action suit. So we'll, we're going to pay for the, the lawsuit, and it will help lots of other people if, if we win. For 10 years, this went, this went on. The hardest part, two different times. Now, I guess I have to preface that this whole time that I've been on Kauai, since I haven't been in showbiz and I got the, I got the radio show, but being a DJ means that I get to host all these benefits all over the island for a whole bunch of organizations, radio shows and um, charities and schools, firemen, police. So I didn't know how much karma I was building up. So when a server would come to my house, they would say, Michelle, I'm so sorry. I just have to give you this. Let me know if you need us to call anybody to help move all your stuff out. It would be a server that gave me a 48-hour notice to get out of our house. And we knew this could happen at any minute. But when it actually gets placed in your hands, it's something else. But thank goodness the person on the other end wasn't like, and the sheriff will come and you have to get out. No, he was like, we can bring all the trucks here. We can, you know, everybody can store stuff in the garage. What do you need? Let me ask my cousin if we can rent you a house. So each time was a little scary, but knowing the island had our back. They're not going to let us break the law. I'm going to lose my house in 48 hours twice but each time we sent the info to our lawyer gary another saint um gary managed to stop that twice 
And then one day, Gary, Gary and Corey work a miracle, and we got paperwork that says, oh, the bank has been selling your loan over and over to all these different banks, and this bank just wants to ask, do you still want to do this lawsuit, or would you like a mortgage? What the hell? Yeah! Yeah! That's what we wanted. We wanted a mortgage. You're offering us a mortgage? So... A few months ago, what, six months ago? I'll have to ask Todd. I can never remember dates. A bank said enough is enough. Let's get you a mortgage. And here's your percentage. And our payment is so freaking affordable, it's ridiculous. And we just couldn't believe it. We were both, like, laughing and crying. Do you ever do that? Like a laugh cry? Both of us were like, we have the papers in our hands like, I can't believe this. Oh my God. This is our karma. This is karma. This is why we just keep, you know, being part of the community and also not freaking out because we only freak out when we have to. And we don't have to freak out. We own our home. We're paying a mortgage. We can actually afford our mortgage. So Bruce, you thought you were asking a, a strange question, but you weren't. You asked something that makes me really happy to tell the story. Even though I rambled. God, I'm going to go over here and look at how long have I been talking? Oh my God, half hour already. We've got a stuff to get to. I might have to do two podcasts this week. Can you, hand, can you guys handle that? I just don't want to bore you. I don't want to go over an hour because I figure like you're in a car or you're walking. I know. Who has an hour? Even though we're staying at home. Doran. Todd mentioned you're cooking a lot. Yes, I'm in the question part. Hi, Doran. Doran Brennan. Yep, we're cooking a lot. <laughs> you guys probably are too. She asks, what are your favorite recipes to cook? And part two, I did not make the original Todd stock and know you gave tours of your Japanese-inspired custom tour. Would you do a video tour so fans can see your humble abode with your Facebook and her Instagram account. Will there be the next Todd stock and where? Oh my gosh, that's a bunch of questions. Okay, Doran. I will give a little video tour, but first I have to clean, kind of clean the house. And because don't, haven't you guys started projects in every like freaking room of the house? And also every single room in our house is full. It is. Um, my niece Vivian and her boyfriend Dylan live with us. Our friend Dave Bracken got stuck and couldn't go home to the Philippines. He's in one of the rooms. Our adopted son Keone and Courtney are in one of the rooms. And our Hanai son Alex, you know, moon doggy surfer Alex that some of you saw in Todd's talk. Alex and Abby live in one of the rooms and Todd and I are in another. So we have... Two, four, six, eight, nine people living in the house. So I have to wait till this, maybe till near the end, because I can't really go in and clean up all their shit and put push it out the door and film stuff. But I'll I'll do some as each, as each room gets cleaned. I'll videotape because I want you to see it. Because Todd, I designed some of it, but Todd designed ninety percent of the house, every inch. He did wireframe computer stuff, and when we took it to an architect to have him draw up the plans, he asked Todd if he was an architect. He said, Mr. Rengren, are you an architect? Todd goes, no. And he goes, well, these look like architectural, perfect architectural drawings. I'm going to change a couple things, but mostly having to do with the, the ground pressure. 
what is that, the PSI of the, the soil when you actually put the house in the soil. And he wasn't even a fan. He just was saying, like, I can stamp this almost immediately. I'm just going to calculate the, the roof and all that stuff. Anyway, you, I want to show it to you because it's like a piece of music. It's all, and he was, Todd was so proud to have, have done this house. So I would really like everybody to see it because, like I said, it feels like another piece of music of his. And I have a little sonnet in there somewhere. <laughs> When will the next Todd Stack be and where? Oh, we thought we'd do a cruise next year. Oh, just kidding. But we, we, we actually, all of us were talking about a cruise, but uh, I think that's out. That's out. But we might plan something for the 75th. Yeah, let's see how it all goes. We no longer have the property next to us. We did have to sell that. When we were do going through all this hell, we did have to sell that piece in order to survive. But that doesn't mean we can't all stay somewhere else, like in condos rather than camping. And what are we cooking? Uh, let's see. Ramen. We love ramen, and, and we make our own. Like, we literally... I, I make our dog food, not because I'm weird, but because it's cheap. Some of our dogs had health problems, so it's cheaper to make their food than the vet bills. So any bones at all from chickens and pork ribs and all that stuff, those go into, he's obsessed with the, what is it, hot pot? Not hot pot. What is it called? Oh, I, I just used it. Instapot. So he's obsessed with that. And every single time I bone anything, any chicken, he puts it all in there. Fish, he puts the bones in there. He makes collagen. And the collagen goes into every sauce he makes. So we make ramen. He makes a really good pineapple crab risotto. He's really good at risotto, and he's very picky. Well, you know, you've seen the video. I got him a smoker for Christmas, and he's used that a lot. He liked it so much that he went to Costco and bought the biggest freaking smoker. It's like three times the size of the one I bought him for Christmas, and he thinks I'm a size queen. Um, I make sesame-crusted ahi because I watch my chefs in my kitchen, so... So when I do it, that's what I do. And let's see, what else? Ooh, he makes really good ribs. I'll try to keep track of that. Maybe I'll have a little, I'll have a little recipe course. Tell you what he's made. Okay, Jacqueline Diesel. I know it's my, you know, in America it'd be Jacqueline Diesel. No, Jacqueline. And I think you're from the Netherlands, right? Scheidem NL. Is that the Netherlands? Oh, I hope I'm right. She says she has two questions. What happened with your shoulder? Uh, let's see. Oh, I don't know if you guys noticed, probably. But over the years, I developed this, like, like lump on my right shoulder. And it, I sort of became the hunchback. It, Rosie Greer. Rosie Greer's head was growing on my shoulder. So when I was doing Vocalize You, which was, gosh, 10 years ago, there was one day when I was pumping, I went to the gym, you know, four days a week. I was pumping and something popped in my shoulder. And it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until um, last year I did have surgery. It finally got so big it was really bothering me. It was, um, I couldn't get surgery because it was aesthetic, meaning it was only about looks, until 10 years later. It started hurting and keeping me up and all at night. So I had to go under and get, go to 
for surgery. It's gone. I feel much more confident. It's funny how little things can kind of make you worry about your looks. And getting older, I'm starting to feel like we just did an Intoxicats video. I'm like, wow, I don't look like I used to during the, the pod tour. <laughs> uh, oh, Eileen from Seattle. You know, I'm, I'm Eileen. I'll tell you what Eileen asked. She asked about, is there anything trashy, scandalous? She wants to know it all. And I asked for that. She's the only one who's actually, she and Bruce are the only one who have actually gone for it. Really given me what I wanted, like ask real questions, not polite, like what you really want to know. But Eileen, I think the scandalous, trashy, greasy, grimy, gritty stuff I'm going to do next podcast. I get a little salacious. You, you like a little bit of it. But the nitty gritty stuff, I think I better save for next week. And I'll tell you guys, next week and I think all of June the, and the rest of May, I want to do stories about dads. So send me your really groovy dad stories. And that's at michellerengren at gmail.com. Or you would have up to three minutes on the, my answering machine, which is 808-431-4881. That goes to my producer's house, and then he sends them to me. Joey Ray. I want, And we should all thank Joey Ray. Thank you, Joey. Joey's the one who came to Tiki Niki sat me down and said, you need to do a podcast and I need to produce it for you. I was like, I didn't edit a Pete Davison. Okay. (laughs) All right. So it's time to listen to one of our phone questions. Are you ready, Joey? Joey always plays, puts the tape together and does the, I listen to him. And, and I will tell you, I decided to go ahead and listen ahead of time because most of you are right. You, you don't want me to wing it in case um, you say something or you've written something that you don't want read. So I promise I will read them ahead of time but still answer off the cuff. All right, Joey, can you play a phone call from Heather Thompson, whom I've known since uh, how long have I known her? 30, 40, 50, 60, more than 40 years. Take it away, Heather. Hey, Michelle. I know the topic for this week's show is interacting with famous people, but I think I have a story for your listeners that they need to hear that's from long before you began mingling with famous people. For all of you out there, hi, this is for you. I'm Heather, Michelle's friend from our very special hometown, Astoria, Oregon. Michelle and I were friends in junior high and high school. Near the end of our sophomore year, somehow, Michelle convinced me we should try out for cheerleader together. It would be for the next school year, which would be our junior year. I was a little hesitant because Michelle was such an awesome dancer, and I was basically just athletic, but we tried out and we made the cheer squad. That summer, we got to go to cheerleading camp in Eugene, Oregon. Michelle, of course, was a standout. And me, I just about died from the heat of the Willamette Valley, but made it through the camp barely. Finally, back in Astoria, school started in the fall. For the first few weeks or so, everything was just cheery, normal high school. But then, devastation strikes. I remember the day. One morning, standing at my locker... 
And through the crowd of students, I saw Michelle running towards me. She was sobbing. She runs up to me and we hug. Through her tears, she says to me, Heather, we can't be cheerleaders together anymore. I can't be cheerleader. My dad got transferred. Remember, he was a cop. We are moving to Portland. I was shocked and at the same time very concerned that Michelle was so upset. I remember I put my hands on both her shoulders, looked her directly in the eyes and said, I'm sorry you can't be cheerleader anymore, but I'm sure your life will turn out just fine. You think? Shortly thereafter, Michelle did move to Portland. I continued along with my normal high school, small town existence. And then a year or two later, I learned Michelle basically ran away to join the circus. And well, the rest is her story. Love you, Michelle. Can't wait to listen to all the rest of the podcast. Have a great day. I love Heather. Heather and I text back and forth, oh, gosh, a couple times a week, I think. And she's the one who's kind of, she and a few other people have kept our Astoria class together. It's, it's a remarkable thing to still be friends with the people you went to school with and the people you grew up with. And Heather does that uh, for uh, many of us, many, many of us. In fact, we're going to miss our our high school reunion this summer because of COVID, but it's okay. But we still keep in touch. Maybe Zoom. No, there are too many of us. But, yeah, I can't say enough about Heather. She's amazing. I see her every time I go to Seattle. When she worked for Coke, we would hang out in L.A., just a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, So thanks, Heather. Love you. So, Bill... Bill had, all right, let's listen to Bill's phone message. Are you ready, Joey? And go. Hey, Michelle, it's Pee-wee. <laughs> yeah, I just want to say one time I went to go see Todd in New Orleans. <laughs> it's yeah, I was going to go in the door and I walked to the door. I was going to say, Brent Todd, could you do some cool songs? <laughs> yeah, but the dude looked at me and goes, Damn, buddy! This isn't a movie theater! <laughs> uh, no, actually, Michelle, my name is Bill. I'm a comedian. I'm an actor guy in New Orleans. And uh, that's true. Uh, when Todd was there for the second wind show, um, I went down there. My, I did Pee-wee at, at different things and venues and stuff. But um, I went down dressed up as Pee-wee trying to get in the door. I was I don't know what I was going to do to say hello, Todd, and stuff like that. But, um, hello, it's me! <laughs> It didn't happen. They did turn me away. I guess this is before the movie theater incident, but anyway. And I really enjoyed the podcast, enjoyed the, the, the Superman story immensely. Great storyteller. Um, and, and again, when you uh, had Rebop, uh, you had a blog on your website. We had conversed back and forth. My youngest son was also premature. And uh, just comparing us things. Um, they're all great now. Uh, loving the show. And uh, continue on. I do a lot of driving in my job. So uh, it's great to listen to you. Thanks, Michelle. This is Bill from New Orleans. Take care. God bless. <laughs> oh, my God, Bill. Bill, I, I asked Todd tonight, do you remember a guy dressed up like Pee Wee coming to Tipitini's? Tipitini's. 
Tipitinas? Tipitinas. Shit. I shouldn't have had two beers and no dinner. Um, and both of us were like, boy, a lot of what you said sounds really familiar. So what we do remember was that's one of the hottest gigs we've ever, ever performed. In fact, Todd was so mad when we actually were doing sound check. He's like, why is there no air conditioning in here? And they were like, there's no, been there no air conditioning in here for 60-some years. So he found one of those big like clock thermometers, probably like you know, 24 inches across, and he yanked it off the wall and put it on stage. When was this? Was this, uh, was this Nearly Human or Acapella? I can't remember, Bill. Sorry about that. Um, anyway, he put it on stage and said, when it reaches 110, no, if it goes, that's right, if it goes under a, a, over 100, we're leaving the stage. And I think it got to 110. And we finished the show. But oh my God, everyone was soaking wet. Everyone's going, am I going to pass out? Oh, oh. But the coolest thing you did, Bill, in speaking your peewee, peewee-ees, was you reminded me about the night in L.A. when Todd and Peewee went out together. And I wasn't in town that night, but he told me all about it. He and Peewee, Peewee picked him up, and they went out and they bought they decided that they should be incognito if they really wanted to be misbehave in L.A. So they bought Tina Turner wigs at a wig shop, and they went to strip clubs. And Todd's doesn't go to strip clubs, but I'm pretty sure Pee Wee doesn't either. But, <laughs> but that's what they did, and they had a blast. And a few years later, um, Pee Wee invited us over to his house. And it's exactly, exactly, I don't know what it is now, but back then in the, uh, like, when was that, late, mid to late 80s, it was exactly like Pee-wee's Playhouse. I'm pretty sure Allie Willis and Pee-wee did it together because everything was vintage and 50s and in its place and perfect, and he had really good housekeepers because every damn thing was clean. It was exactly like you would want Pee-wee's house to be. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. I had a question about. Oh shoot! Now I'm trying to find the question. Ah, da, 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 da. Oh, I know. Our story was about running into greatness. Okay, we're starting a second time here. I found Harvey's letter, and uh, it's his first musical memory. Now, remember, it's a good time to tell everybody that. If you listen to podcasts and you're just catching up, it's okay to send any story that we talk about because we're going to keep doing it. Um, yeah, this next month, I think we'll do stories about fathers, but also I think I think you guys want to do this. I know I even have a story. Somebody asked me, oh, it was Eileen, asked me, you know, salacious stories. And one of my stories might be salacious, but it's not fun. But it does have to do with being able to handle it, listening to a Todd song. And remember, I didn't grow up being a Todd fan like, like uh, some of you. But I, I noticed that there were times when his music really helped me get through something. And one, one story was enough to actually save our marriage. 
So I think we're going to open it up. And don't worry, you can think about it because we're going to do this every single week. I'll read a few. What are your favorite Todd songs? That's easy. But what song or a couple, you can choose one, two, or three, and then, you know, wait a while and do it again later. But we'll do, I think it's a, it's a good segment to do what Todd song inspired me or what Todd song saved me or what Todd song changed my life. I think that's a fun thing to do. And I would not have ever thought of it until it happened to me. And a song I actually sang on helped save my marriage. Just damn, doesn't he write good lyrics? Damn. Okay, we're getting to our Harvey Schwartz uh, question here. Uh, not question, story. And it's a good one. I'm not going to say anything about Harvey because it will be disclosed in his story. Hi, this is Harvey Schwartz calling from Bellingham, Washington. And I am going to tell the story of my first musical memory. So it starts in 1959 when I was in sixth grade at Cardington Stonehurst Elementary School in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania. And in that class, none of my friends were in the class. They were all in the other class, and I later found out that that was on purpose because they thought I would behave better if I weren't around my friends. So at any rate, at the end of sixth grade, we were going to junior high, Beverly Hills Junior High, it was called, even though it was in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania. And the sections were 7-1 to 7-15. And 7-1 was basically the smart kids, and 7-15 what they labeled as retarded kids. And as odd as it seems now, the teacher was just saying out loud which section everyone was in. And when he got to my name, he said, and Harvey, you're in 7-1? Uh, he kind of stumbled over it, and it was really clear that he was shocked that I was in 7-1, so it must have been for some test we took or something. It certainly wasn't behavior or grades or anything. So at any rate, in that 7-1 class, supposedly the smart kids, there were two kids that stood out from the rest which were Randy Reed and Todd Rundgren. And my main memory from that class is Todd sitting in the back of the math class. It was uh, the Merlin plan and then the Yale plan the next year that were advanced math. And I was totally, completely lost in it. I had no idea what was going on. And... Todd would sit in the back of the class knitting. And Mrs. Green, the teacher, it, you could tell she was really irritated by that, although she didn't stop him from knitting. But she would periodically just 
toss a really hard question to him that I wouldn't have had a clue about. And he would just look up from his knitting and matter-of-factly give her the answer, and you could see that it got her so mad. And that went on the whole year. So at any rate, that was the situation in the classroom, and that year I got into this thing of throwing hexes on people. I don't know where I got that, but I found it interesting that Todd seemed to be the most um, taken by it when I would throw a hex on him. I specifically remember playing baseball out in the schoolyard and like a ground ball just rolling through his legs after I did that. But most of the time, at lunchtime, Todd went to the gym in the school with an electric guitar and was playing venture songs. And I had no idea he was a musician or played music or anything. But I remember walking by and listening in and thinking, oh, he's pretty good. And... uh just stood and listened for a little while. But while the rest of us were off doing other things, Todd was uh, starting out his uh, musical career early. So that's it. End of my story. Hope you enjoy. Bye. And I got to tell you guys, Harvey didn't just email us out of the blue. Uh, he actually came back into Todd's life, and he's actually been over here to Kauai, and, and we go back and forth. His kids are super successful television writers. Yeah, and so uh, Harvey and Todd are still friends. So it's not just me. I'm not the only one who still has friends from grade school or junior high or high school. <laughs> okay, where were we? This was supposed to be about... Brushes with Greatness, and I think I might have to just tell one story and then save a couple other ones for later. So, um, yeah, I'll just read one. A Little Brush with Greatness. It was April in the spring, yeah, April 1983. Capitol Records. Outside Inside released, produced by David Foster. One song on the record was a Curtis Mayfield cover, The Monkey Time. Now, I'll, I'm just going to refer to it as Monkey Time because in the tubes, that's all, that's all we call it, Monkey Time, even though on the record it says The Monkey Time. It was a debut, oh, oh sorry, a duet with Martha Davis and Fee and Patty Austin is singing backups. No little slouchy thing. So we had a whole new show to tour. It was the second record that Capitol did for the Tubes. So a whole new show to tour with and a big budget from the record company. They used to give you money to put a tour together. So She's a Beauty was our biggest hit, and MTV played the shit out of it. Our video played constantly. And the tours were hugely successful. It was, I couldn't believe it. It was just felt, I was so high every single day, and I didn't do record. Didn't do drugs. I still don't accept for booze. Actually, I took a pain pill last night because I hurt my ankle. But that's it. It was prescribed. Um, (laughs) When it came time to release Monkey Time, our second single, uh, which Martha Davis sang on with Fee, Martha Davis didn't want us to. 
She didn't want it because she thought it would impact her sales of the new motels record. It was just going to come out at the at the same time we we were going to re, re not sorry we were going to release the second tube single which would have Martha on it. And she's right. It would have impacted her sales. People would have been satisfied hearing Martha, Martha's voice, rather than uh, who knows if that was right or not. So I'd been singing the song on tour. I'd been singing Martha's part. And David Foster suggested that we go into the studio and switch Martha's vocals for mine. The studio was Sound on Sunset. I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know it until I walked in and saw the names on the walls. Studio One. The people played in Studio One. Miles Davis, Louis Armstrong, Janis Joplin, The Turtles, Tom Petty, Buffalo Springfield, Rolling Stones, Beach Boys, Sly and the Family Stone, Frank Zappa, Doobie Brothers, Genesis, Genesis, Linda Ronstadt, Jackson Brown, Little Feet, Amazing. I was in studio too. I walked in seeing pictures. Bob Dylan, Van Halen, Led Zeppelin. Then it got to the single digits. Elton, Ringo, Michael, Aretha, Barbara. I wasn't quite freaking out. Yeah, I was freaking out. Alberto Gatica was engineering. David was producing. David Foster. And it was just Fee and I, because he, he had to, oh, in the, in the track, original track, he'd said, hey, Martha, on the original. So he, as instructed, had to change all those to something else. And I, I was thinking he was going to say my name, but no, it was, hey, baby. Damn it. Wouldn't have been great if it was, hey, Michelle. <laughs> as instructed... I tried to sound sound exactly like Martha did. That's how I sang it on stage. I wanted the, or we all wanted the audience to feel like they were hearing the record. So I copped a Martha voice. And David and Umberto, David and Umberto quickly punched in all my lines. On a break, I went outside to the courtyard and only two other people were in the courtyard. It was a half court for base basketball. Kind of a small courtyard, L-shaped, I think, but part of it was just a half court. A person my height was hitting almost every basket he threw. The big, burly white guy was dressed all in black with an oddly decorated black vest, had a bunch of silver bangles all over it and stuff, and it didn't fit his bald biker look, the spangle part. The black did. but So the basketball player was dressed in most of his very fancy suit. Tight pants, decorated up the outside on each leg, a frilly lavender shirt, high-heeled boots, and a waist that probably matched my 22-inch waist at the time. Rebop ruined that. <laughs> okay. The basketball player's wide purple jacket was at side court, just lying on the ground. Very meticulous decor on the jacket. It was it was beautiful. Like it looked like a stage costume. I sipped my diet coke while I watched near the back end of the half court. 
The player stopped and walked up to me. I was barefoot, and we were facing each other, eye to eye, probably like freaking 10 inches. Yeah, he must have been just 10 inches from my face. Go do that. And if you're with somebody in your house, go do that right now. And if you're a stranger, especially now if you get that close, but even back then when there were no worries, if you get like 10 inches from somebody's face and you just stare at them, that's that's kind of freaky. But I was Mrs. C- Miss Cool. <laughs> it didn't make me smile when he got that close. So I, I smiled. I didn't say anything. I just smiled. The bodyguard joined us. He went to one side of the both of us, and he said, Prince would like to know what you're doing at the studio. I spoke my answer to both of them. I'm here recording a tube song, la la la, David Foster. I dropped all the right names because I was in a really amazing studio. I wanted to let them know I belong there, even though I didn't know who they were. Prince looked at his big manager, not manager, what do you call him? Bodyguard, sorry. Prince looked at the bodyguard without saying a word, and then he looked back at me. The bodyguard says to me, Prince would like to tell you, you are a beautiful woman. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Without Prince saying a word, the bodyguard said, Prince would like to tell you, you are a beautiful woman. This time I stared only at Prince, trying not to laugh, but I did giggle when I said, Well, thank you. (laughs) What are you doing here? The bodyguard said, Prince is working on the soundtrack for his first movie. And I can't remember what my comment was. I, I wish I could remember what I said, but I think it was probably like, Very cool. And the bodyguard said... Sorry, this seems so weird to say because it sounds so impossible. (laughs) So the bodyguard says, Prince would like to know if you'd like to come into the studio to join him this evening. You know, something like that. I explained I couldn't. We were leaving right after we tracked. Tracked means when you're like done recording. I think we had a, uh, I can't remember if we had a show that night or we were just leaving town that night to go to a show in San Francisco. Uh, this is L.A. Anyway, just then, they, Prince and the bodyguard, were called back into their studio. I got a smile and a nod as Prince and the bodyguard walked quickly back to Studio 3. They were gone, and he'd left the beautiful, ornate purple jacket outside on the ground. So I picked it up, and I wrapped it around my shoulders, and I went back to the to Studio 2 to finish my vocals. Wearing Prince's jacket. Yeah, the same guy I just met but was pretty sure was cool. I didn't know who he was. Despite his lack of, well, speech. <laughs> As I finished my vocals, a call came into the control room. That's in my studio. There's a control room. If you don't, probably everybody knows, but there's a control room where they do all the mixing and recording, all the buttons and gadgets, and and then there's the studio, which is normally really silent, and you just, uh, they can contact you through your headphones. 
or a speaker sometimes. Anyway, as I finished my vocals, um, a call came into the control room and someone was asking Alberto Garca if anyone had seen Prince's jacket and asked that I, the blonde girl, bring it over to him if she had it. I thought about going into Studio 3. I did. I'd finished. I had the jacket. I'm a cop's kid. I'm not keeping that. Uh, I thought, well, that was just something really weird and interesting about that guy. But as we left Sunset Sound, I asked the front desk to ring Prince's studio and let him know. Michelle Gray, from the tubes, thanked Prince for the use of his jacket And I just hung it up on the outside of his studio door. A few years... Yeah. What an idiot I was. Oh, man. Anyway. A few... (laughs) This is the fun part. (laughs) A few years later, when I told Todd the story, he's, you know, he always has the perfect comeback. He goes, whoa, you could have been Apollonia. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well. I was trying to remember a song, but I can't. Okay, I don't know if I've taken up too much time, and I might need to go to something else, but maybe I'll just say I might record another show even before I get too many of your uh, stories or questions, and I need more. I'm not getting enough questions from you guys. Are you chicken? Look, after Bruce, you remember what Eileen asked? Come on. How can you do any worse than Eileen? And I'm going to answer Eileen next week or, you know, when I get a chance to do it. And I promise I'll try to do it sooner. Ask a question and you can either send it to my Gmail, Michelle Rungert at Gmail, or record it, 808-431-4881. Or you can tell me a story. Remember, after you listen to the podcast, any of those stories, we're still going to do them. June, we're going to do father stories. I've got some. And I even have something about Harry that's fun. Some of you witnessed this without knowing it. And also, the thing I think you'll probably like the best, and we can go on forever and ever about it, keep gathering and talking about it. What are your favorite three Todd songs? And if you can't stick to three, okay. But we don't have all day here. And I slur after two beers. And also, the thing, somebody asked me what's the hardest thing that's ever happened to me in my life. Or the hardest thing I've overcome. And I realized I didn't read it before. Because the thing that saved me, and remember, I wasn't a Todd fan when I met him. But the thing that saved me, my relationship, my future marriage was a Todd song so I'll say that too and I know I didn't get into too much dirt but uh, maybe this week I'll talk about my fun times with Wayne Gretzky and David Bowie not together (laughs) hey I want to thank my family and Joey Joey's my producer, the man that talked me into this, and my family for um, letting me tell stories about them, and for my boyfriend for promising not to listen. (laughs) He's cooking up something. Um, I'm going to go help him 
redo his video that he sent, he's sending to you. And I hope you get a chance to, to go to intoxicats.com, intoxicats at YouTube or, in, or uh, Instagram, and watch the video that we did. Oh, and by the way, our adopted son, Keone. My son, Keone. Todd, Todd's and my son, Keone. Rex, Randy, and Rebob's brother uh, did my video. And he's actually helping Todd do his now that Todd's working on it. So uh, when you see it, I got to thank him too. Dang, though, I wish I had, like, taken the lipstick out of the corners of my mouth. Now you know what to look for. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. And Toxicats, also remember my podcast at uh, Tiki and Niki. Every Friday at 420, we teach you how to do uh, Tiki and Niki drinks. It's a quick one. It's less than a half hour. So uh, get your pen out and your notebook because, yeah, we're most of the stuff that we keep secret given away thank you guys i really appreciate you helping me do this because it keeps me sane and it's kind of a way that i can tell stories to you and my children my grandchildren my great-grandchildren without having to show them my red face aloha nui loa Aloha, this is Joey, your trusty producer for the Michelle Rundgren Podcast. Guys, make sure you go to Facebook. We have a Facebook fan page up now for the podcast. Just facebook.com, Michelle Rundgren Podcast all together. After that, uh, check out the Intoxicats. The link for the uh, video that Michelle was talking about is going to be in the show notes. Also, send her emails, michellerundgren at gmail.com. Also, voicemail. 808-431-4881. Thanks very much. You can also still support Give Kawhi Hope and get one of the podcast t-shirts. And the link is in the notes. Uh, top of the podcast music by Mr. Todd Rundgren. And the music coming up next is the Intoxicats little project that Michelle has going on. Check that out. Guys, thank you very much. My name's Joey. You can check out my podcast, Kauai Today, and we appreciate it, and have a safe week. Aloha.
Yeah. 